0: Welcome to this edition of the Tech Ireland podcast. Uh, I am here and delighted to be here with Jules Coleman, uh, now of Resi and previously of Hassel. Welcome Jules. Hi, me. How are you? Great to have you on the phone from London. So um, this podcast, we're going to dive into the topic of investing and funding for female founders, male founders, all founders, but it is part of the series that we're doing around female founders and their experience of investment as part of our 100 million campaign, which is the campaign that we launched on International Women's Day to track 100 million in funding for Irish female founders in 2018. We tracked 79.4 million in 2017 and we're going to hopefully all together as a community of female founders, co-founders and supporters in Ireland, track 200 million uh, by International Women's Day next year. So so Jules, thanks again for being here. Now you set up your first company, Hassle, with your co-founder Alex back in 2011, and you exited in 2015, is that right?
1: Correct. It sounds nice and straightforward when you put it like that, but a bit of a whirlwind
0: between those two days. Fair enough. And then Resi is your newest company started in 2017 and you are an online residential architect.
1: Indeed, yeah. We've, We've... gone from cleaning your home to building your home. <laughs>
0: so, going up the value tree. Excellent. So so let's step back into hassle because that's kind of where your whole experience obviously with fundraising starts and, and is driven from. So take us take us on that journey from from day one and the angel investing you got at the start or, or what even happened before that?
1: Yeah, no. I, I wish the angel investment was on day one. That was on like day about five hundred and something, I think. Um, so in, in twenty eleven, I was a management consultant working in London. I, so I'd graduated from university in Dublin in two thousand and six. I'd left during the downturn. I'd been working as management consultant for you know five six years and, and had enjoyed it. It has been a great experience working in big corporates, traveling the world, seeing how really large companies work, but. It was also, it didn't feel like the job I was going to do for the rest of my life. Um, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, and um, I had this this business idea kind of came during that time period. And I, I, I'd never started a company. The word startup actually in 2010, to 2011 wasn't as prevalent as this day. There wasn't, you know, a lot of literature around the place about angel investing or venture capital or, or anything like that. And we really didn't know how to get started. Right, um, But... Luckily, I had a, a couple of friends of mine uh, who were a bit well, better versed in, in various components uh, of it. And so, the, the idea that I had back in, in 2011 was actually trying to find a local piano teacher—a little bit different than what we ended up doing the business in. Um, but it was this idea of trying to help local services and local commerce interact. And, and I was feeling that you know all of these small independent traders were sort of being left behind, um, while big brands were sort of able to afford having websites and marketing campaigns and other things that your local piano teacher or dog walker or house cleaner couldn't and they kinda they left kind of behind in kind of this increasingly digital kind sort of online world. Right. Um, but really it was it was a, it was an idea and I had no real reason to think that I'm the first to build it out or do anything. I was imagining something to a PowerPoint for a living basically. And um, but I had done economics and financial math at university and I'm a bit of a nerd. Um, and a friend of mine who's um, a computer science lecturer encouraged me to buy a book uh, that would teach you how to code and build your own website to build a prototype of what, this idea that I had in my head um, and to see, you know, just to be able to show people what I was thinking of. And another friend of mine kind of was telling me about the kind of this startup world and encouraged me to read a book called The Lean Startup, which had literally just been published back then. Yeah. And it was, it both both of those two things were you know, really instrumental, I guess, on i setting you on the right path. Um, and so what I found in the summer of 2011, I I basically quit my job. Um, I was sitting in my bedroom in, in London, reading this book, teaching myself to code, building this website that maybe looked a little bit like you could book a driving instructor or piano teacher or, or house cleaner, and um, and and kind of fumbling my way into kind of starting a business. Really, I, I don't think I really had a great game plan or vision as to where things are going to go, um, but we got. A lot of luck along the way, and, and some of that first bit of luck was that we, we happened to hear about this accelerator program that was running in London, and just towards the end of 2011 we heard about it, it started in 2012, and it was actually the first time they were running in London, so I'm sure many of you have heard of a lot of startup accelerators these days, they become very popular over the past you know six, seven years, but yeah. in 2011 they were a relatively new phenomenon, and um, you know, in, in London certainly maybe in, in America they have them for a little bit longer, and then we applied um, with the idea, Um uh and 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 they accepted us and it was that validation of getting accepted on this program that meant that alex and and tom my co-founders decided to leave their job too and come on board and see you know what this little adventure might kind of become um but it was a full year later that we actually secured the angel investment for the business and it was only after the fact that we kind of rationalized down from these we do everything sort of marketplace of you know the, the, the house cleaners and dogs um, the dog walkers down to just that's like, just doing one thing well, like cleaning, and um, and that was when we we got the angel investment. We raised two hundred fifty thousand pounds, and from you know individual angel investors, nobody putting in more than fifty thousand pounds each. A lot of people putting in you know between ten and twenty. So a collection of people kind of getting us that initial sum, and um, and that was I guess the proper turning point must be one focusing on just doing one thing doing it well and the. I guess what you call a proper business. So yeah. even at stage took two years. Um, so it, it kind of it felt quite long and uh, torturous at the time. But we kind of glossed over it now. Kind of like going back six years.
0: Yeah, ancient history. Uh, did you? Did you? When you went into the accelerator program, did you give equity and get money then?
1: We did, and um, so it was. I believe I've a long time. That's so I did it. So I believe. Um, it was six percent equity for fifteen thousand pounds in cash so not a lot um uh either i guess um, but um you know for us that was a good deal you know i certainly in the second business in resi we did not give away six percent equity for two thousand pounds and but for that first business you know if it wasn't a business, it was an idea at that point, and we were three green, you know, want-to-be entrepreneurs, really, that had never done this before, and what the accelerator gave us, you know, was was uh, invaluable, and, and I have no doubt that we wouldn't have had anywhere near the success we hadn't gone through that program, but if you just treat it for the cash-for-equity kind of exchange, it would be a very bad investment, but really it's everything but the cash that they give you, and I, I do, you know, we, we were very lucky to go through a program that at the time was called Springboard that later became Techstars. It's right. sort of one of the better accelerator programs. A lot of programs have from us in the intervening years that are of varying levels of quality. Um, and, you know, you don't want to be giving away, you know, a lot of equity, you know, for um, you know, dubious uh, value. Um, yeah. so it's definitely, it needs to be the right program, you know, and the right thing for, for your business.
0: I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that, that that's the first of, I'm sure, many good pieces of advice we're going to be talking about today from you, uh, you know, think about the cachet of the program, because that's what it gives you. The cash is going to be minor and you're going to give away, relatively speaking, quite a significant amount of equity, um, you know, the, when you look back on it, if you certainly if you scale the business. But if it brings that cachet to an idea, to a group of people and a stru- structure and a framework, from which you can build, that makes an awful lot of sense.
1: Absolutely. You know, I think um, an accelerator program is something that you probably do once. You know, we extract a lot of the value the first time around. Certainly, when we came to do Resi, you know, the second time, we didn't feel like an accelerator program would be the right thing for us to do as a business. We, we had learned a lot uh, in the engineering years. Um, but that baptism of fire, but also structure that it gave, you know, it, they introduced us to. Literally hundreds of people, you know, from other entrepreneurs to people in industry, to experts in various kind of, you know, um, specialisms from marketing to finance, to, and and then investors, you know, both angel investors and venture capital and um, firms, and and to to get that from you know being three people that have come from you know big corporate world that literally knew nobody and nothing in this space, and um, we couldn't have asked for more. But you also have to be in the place and the mindset to take that on board, to take it in. You know, there was definitely people that went through the program that were a lot more closed off to what was on offer um, and kind of were pretty set that they knew what their business was and they were sticking with it no matter what. Um, I mean, that kind of you don't get this they benefit from it because, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, being open to kind of, you know, and malleable to, you know, finding what, it, what you should be. Um, and we were definitely a little bit pig-headed going through it as well, you know, from From the get-go on that accelerator program early in 2012 people were telling us to focus and just do one thing well and it took us about a year of hearing that consistently before we took that advice on board and actually went ahead and and did it but you know i think being an entrepreneur is that mixture of being stubborn and being flexible and it's a hard balance to Fine. completely
0: and being able to bounce back when you're when, when you see the light later than maybe you wish you had but I, I think yeah exactly it's it, it's it's all the learning process so so then you got the angel investment did you say 250k from a group of different yeah, angels different. Yeah.
1: yeah okay yeah uh, mm-hmm. go so ahead I, that angel you know, I think a lot of others have as well is that yes it was a you know a bunch of I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 individuals that made it up but within that group there was probably three people that were lynchpin investors that brought in their friends that were their kind of syndicate. I mean that you tend to find that in the angel investing world that there's there's actually very few people who are I, I mean I think I think all angel investors are very brave because the likelihood is, is you invest that money and you never see it again. You know, you've gotta be doing it for either altruistic reasons or you're a very, you know, um, yeah, you know, risk taking kind of investor. Yeah. Um, but there's definitely still out of angel investors. There's very few that will make the investment decision themselves. There's, there's there's those few kind of you know decision makers or deal finders, and then there's lots of people that, when their friends that's pretty good at having a nose for a good company decides to put money in, they'll follow. Um, and it's trying to weed those out. You can have to spend an awful lot of time and energy talking to people that, who so even if they like your company, are probably unlikely to make that decision solo. They need some the vindication and validation of of their kind of you know fellow uh, kind of to be the investors to kind of come in. and and finding those people is, tends to be the, the really kind of challenging
0: thing that's and again another great piece of advice you're so right it's you know what what role is this person going to play are they going to be the early adopter are they going to be the person who puts down their money and brings others to the table or are they a follower mm-hmm. who will follow somebody yeah. else's smart money and, and and recognizing that as an entrepreneur who's going to spend time around these people is, uh, is just is, is a smart way of doing it
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the one thing, and this it, it seems to go through, even if you go up the kind of channels, is and, and that it's actually very rare to get no from an investor as an answer. Um, you know, it's usually a lot more uh, ambiguous or <laughs> like vague. Uh, you know, oh, I'll come back to me in a couple of months, or oh, be, it may be interesting when you hit this milestone or that milestone. It's typically code for no, um, but being an entrepreneur and typically of an optimistic mindset, you often hear a yes <laughs> or kind of a maybe a yes in there and yeah. being able to really filter that and, and just not waste your own time and it's hard enough to get your business off the ground but if you spend a significant amount of your day just talking to investors about that business that you're going to get off the ground you're probably not you're going to impede your broker
0: yeah so, so what is the give us some of your from your experience the kind of the responses that mean no that don't say no <laughs>
1: Like here's my checkbook, typically, um, <laughs> you know I think those 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 investors that were keen on us typically were keen pretty early on. There were some exceptions, you know. Actually, one of our best investors and uh, an advisor to us and someone that we would now myself and I would very much call a friend um i think i had to do about 10 meetings with him before he said yes yeah. so there's always exceptions to that rule but but those 10 meetings were he was he was invested in finding out more about the company like he was he was doing his due diligence he was asking really intelligent questions he was peeling back the layers of it it didn't feel like time wasting 10 coffee meetings where you kind of chit chat about not much and it's just kind of high level talking about maybe future plans of the company that feel like they're going nowhere i think i would have cut that off a lot earlier um, um but i think yeah, just, you know, when when someone isn't immediately following up on your emails or isn't saying, oh, be interesting for you to meet my friends and kind of, you know, to, you know, maybe just trying to get the validation of what they typically invest with. When you're not, when it feels like you pushing rather than kind of, you know, them pulling, um, it's typically a no. Not, obviously, of course, there's exceptions, but, um, you know, it tends to be unbalanced, um, kind of how it went.
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, you uh, when you when you hear somebody talking to you giving you those questions to I guess as an entrepreneur you're also asking yourself does this person actually have money are they actively investing at the moment or are they maybe just genuinely interested in what we're doing but there isn't any money coming to the table how do you find that out
1: I mean we always be really open with asking fact it's a two-way conversation you should always be validating this is this a person I wish to have on my cap table um, as a shareholder because you're going to have a commitment to them for a very long time and need to get on well with them and um, no matter what size of tickets they're doing it's amazing how often you need to actually go back out and find those shareholders to get their signature on some piece of paper that's become incredibly important to you and your business and you want that to be someone that you're you know keen to pick up the phone to and, and do but, so, we a two-way conversation with us and, and some of the questions that we'd be asking are, you know, what, you know, what are your recent investments that you've done? What's your preferred ticket size? Do you like writing £5,000 checks? Do you like writing £50,000 checks? Are you not interested unless you can kind of put £100,000 into a business? Um, what industries are you interested in and why? Like, you know, is it that you have, you know, you've run businesses in those industries before and you think it's exciting, you think that it's an emerging trend or, or whatever else. And and we often times have to speak to founders of companies that they've been involved with, you know, just to 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 understand, you know, not I'm not not just to say take a coffee meeting with somebody, but here's the point where they'll become an um, investor, and because it's interesting to, to to understand that and you know how you know interventionist or laid back or you know. Um, committed they typically are and um, to their an investment so i definitely treat it as a two-way street and um, it's not just you begging somebody for money <laughs> you you know if you're an is just a person that you want to take along and um, you know on the journey with you
0: absolutely and i think that brings us on to kind of the the moving from angel to vc because one of the things that occurs to me when you say that is What are the terms and conditions of this investment? What does the term sheet look like? And what does all of those, what does all of that terminology translate into in real terms, Uh, you know, for shareholders, for Different milestones for KPIs, et cetera, et cetera. So, talk to us a little bit about the the what happened after you got the angel investment, timeframe uh, time frame, and then VC and that whole experience of of pitching sure. to investors and taking on that money. Yeah.
1: So, so for us, we we found that experience of getting our angel investment round, you know, very labor intensive and it's taken like a very long time in, in our eyes, together. You know, closed in March of 2013. Like, we've been going. Like, it'd been nearly two years since I've written the first line of code. It's been quite a long time. Yeah. Um. Uh, to kind of get to that point, and we were a little bit burned. And we didn't really want that to happen again. And, and also, we now focus again on cleaning. And at that point in time, we thought cleaning is not for so It doesn't sound very venture capital esque we don't see too many clean companies getting funding, we probably need to make this money last and probably get us to profitability, or at least, you know, where we could get to profitability if we wanted It wasn't necessarily our plan A, but we'd kind of be making enough revenue that we could cover our own costs if that was it and no more investment forthcoming. Um, and so that was what we went out to do. We were a really small company at that point was the, you know, three founders and one employee and an intern, basically. And um, and we were, we kind of got our heads down through 2013, and we were starting to grow really, like, well. You know, like, it was, they were from small numbers, but the percentage month on month growth was, was strong, and it and kind of it was unfailing. And we weren't finding excuses about seasonalities or number of, you know, days in the month or any other reasons that you start coming up with as that <laughs> like entrepreneur when you're not quite hitting your revenue targets. You're growing very solidly. It's um, winter time. And, 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 Exactly. Yeah, there's always a reason. Um, and so, um, so we kind of keep our heads down. We were, you know, just just do, doing what what we were doing, and, and everything was going well. And we were being pretty cautious with that money. We certainly weren't splashing it around the place. And, and most of it was going on marketing to, to help grow um, the business. And, and then in the October of that year, um, we were in Dublin um, for the web summit, and we happened to meet. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy called Oshin Hanrahan, a fellow Irish fan, yeah. who actually lived in America and was running Handybook, or Handy as it was later called, yeah. a company very similar to us, in fact. Um, and he he, told, he was like, oh, I assume you guys have heard news that, um, that uh, another cleaning company in America, they'd sprung about nowhere in our I of all the cleaning companies, something of the thing. and Homejoy had graduated from Y Combinator, so the Silicon Valley a accelerator program and basically on demo day had raised $40 million in venture capital funding. Wow. And and we were like, no, we, we had not heard that news <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were stated able to come to London. And we were like, oh my God, we thought our 250 k would be, you know, it was hard and we so we did really well to get there, but they had $40 and um, which was just a number that blew our minds, you know. And we were like, at cleaning? Like, really? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we, we went back to our you know investors. And we, we'd already even though it wasn't mandated, like I did not just was for We we put together ourselves a little board. So we had a couple of our investors were advisors, and we would meet and had a a monthly kind of formal board process to hold ourselves to account and like kind of track progress and you know plan strategically. And we came to the news that there was these American competitors and they were going to come and kill us any moment now. Um, and, and those guys, uh, so, so David Richard and Ron Zakhav are our two, um, advisors and investors. And said, like, take, like, guys, take a moment, take a breath. You're doing really well. You know, you're growing really solidly month on month. Your business economics are really good. You know, you're acquiring customers for not very much money. They're sticking around, They about the product. They're telling their friends. You're getting word of mouth kind of growth. Like, these are all of the right kind of mechanics and underlying fundamentals you know, look for in business. You know, if they can raise venture capital money, there's no reason you can't raise venture capital money. And just kind of opened up a whole new kind of horizon for We really, up until that point, we had not been targeting going out in any, like, near term raising funding we didn't really you know that was viable passwords. Yeah. and we, we'd been burned from how hard the, the previous round would be so we thought well if we're going to do it we need to prep for it and we need to make it like a short sharp sort of project you know and it either is successful or not successful but it can't derail everything in the business we're still like five people and um, it just you know can't take up all our time so we we prepped and we made a push test and we ran it past those five first and they introduced us to some um, kind of friendly, kind of investors, angels who wouldn't be targets to actually give us kind of capital but would give us feedback and honest feedback and we practiced our pitch and, and, and went out and, and did that and then we had a list of all of the venture capital firms we knew in London and we kind of had ranked them um, in order of likelihood, I guess, uh, to be suitable for us, like both in terms of who would we like to raise money from and who like who we thought was suitable, who we thought would kind of be in their wheelhouse um, and we, we ordered them in terms of a B and C, so I already mm-hmm. like A being kind of the best or the most like likely the best fit, um, and C being the worst fit. And no, was typically not because they were a good firm, but they would fund bigger companies or smaller companies, right. and typically fund companies in a different industry or whatever, it just it didn't seem like the most likely. Um, and so we actually pitched to some of the Cs first, so the like slightly people, kind of to you know again get that kind of pitch practice kind of going. Where we're expecting to get a no back, that was kind of like you know that was the um, obvious outcome. Um, but we kind of you know the questions that they asked were likely to be the same ones that we get asked by the As. Yeah. Um, and and then we we lined up a couple of the As and and we were kind of pitch ready at that point we weren't burning our like you know best chances kind of like us finding our feet and kind of getting into our pattern and you do find it so it always be myself and alex that would go out and do the pitch and, and we were like a little kind of double act we were definitely the answer deck of female entrepreneurship in the uk I think. <laughs> in terms of we have our like little one-liners that would always be at the exact same point in the pitch, and, and on that i mean you get really used to the questions that you're going to get back and you have better answers and you know more robust and, and you could address them up front before they didn't get out And quickly, and something that surprised us obviously given how hard the previous rounds have been, was that we were getting lots of interest and the views were going really well. And it actually started becoming a competitive process where there were multiple investors that wanted to invest in us um, and were kind of, you know, vying for a position rather than us trying to, you know, beg them to to, to take an interest. Yeah. And honestly, I mean, you know. There's no better like you know position to be in for uh, negotiating terms and keeping you know, term sheet favorable for founders than having multiple people want to invest in you. You know that is bringing people to the boil at the same point that, that are having multiple parties that would like to get your get the deal means that you have leverage. in In the absence of that, if there's only one show in town, only one investor that wants to invest in you, then it's very hard for founders to have leverage. You know they they have a term sheet; it'll be their term sheet. It'll be their kind of standard term and um, if, if there's nothing else to kind of go against, it, 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 it's difficult. You know, you've got to be willing to walk away from that field if you really want to have, like, leverage in negotiations.
0: Right. How, I, I have so many questions and, we, you know, the, we can't let this podcast, unfortunately, go on for hours, but there's so much here. <laughs> so, let me ask you this. Uh, your pitch how kind of numerically driven was it and how big were the figures that you were presenting as the opportunity
1: um so it, there was definitely numbers in there um and definitely quantifying some things but it wasn't you know some sort of scientific research paper um it you know your storytelling um you know in, in these pitches at series Bay level it's still very much about the team and the idea. Um, the numbers and traction you have to date, of course, are interesting, and you know, as much of your narrative around it, is it, what the investors are looking at. Um, there's not too many investors that are placing massive amounts of you know, certainty um, on, on such a small amount of data, you know, that's been kind of going from, like we literally gone from zero customers to you know, where we're at that point. Um, and that so of course your predictions about the future are based off you know pretty small time periods and, and, and data sets. And um, but what they're really looking for typically is, is how you're thinking about the opportunity, how you're thinking about the market. How robust are your assumptions? How you know like proud are you about your assumptions and that like do you feel do you feel like the kind of team that will be able to adapt and if reality ends up being different, that you'll be the team that you know can change tax and, and still be successful. Um, but of course you, you want to paint a picture that there's a big opportunity to go after here. Um, but you know, most investors hate that idea of, like, if we could capture just 1% of the market pitch, um, because oh God, that's, like, yeah. that's lacking in any nuance. That's Absolutely. just going, here's a big number, and if we got 1% of it, that would be a big number, um, which isn't all that interesting um, as a kind of you know, thought process and um, how to get there. Um, and so you know, a lot it was a lot more about our view of the world, our view of the problem, our view as to why the approach we were taking was the right one, And also our view of the challenges and you know the areas where we might be weak or where the money and the expertise they bring would help us. You would help us get to the next level. Because if all you're presenting is your, you know, kind of best, you know, best way for nothing's ever gone wrong, you know, and you're perfect. Well, then it's like, well, why do you need our money? Like, why, why, what, what, what can we bring? How can we be a differentiator if you've got everything sorted like already? Uh, And of course, you know, they're not an acne aunt. You're not going to go with every problem that you've ever had. Um, but having that kind of humility to say that you know we haven't done everything sorted, we're a young company, um, but we've managed to overcome all these hurdles. here's some of the ones we expect to kind of have to kind of you know get over in the future, and here's how we think we're going to do it. And um, kind of goes a long way. Um, and seeing that dynamic in the team as well, you know, and that there are different kind of skill sets and uh, you know, um, you know, people that have a different outlook that are going to give a broader range of coverage to the company is, is again something that good DCs are typically looking for.
0: Absolutely. It sounds like, and you and I have had this conversation a couple of times in the past, uh, it sounds like you didn't perceive or our experience any bias in the fact that you and Alex are both women, uh, you're the CTO, uh, you know, you're building this company yourselves, etc., Talk to me about that, um, I, women's experiences vary and obviously it varies in terms of the investors that they're meeting with, how much they're asking for, what their product is, what their own background is, there's so many variables there. But from your own experience, how did that how did that, how did that happen or not happen? Yeah, I mean, I think at
1: the angel investment stage, I'm, su- I'm sure there were people that we met that wrote it off for maybe some other reasons. but investors are making good decisions across all number of factors and reasons that you know may or may not be legitimate and you know certainly in terms of gender I would not judge that to be legitimate reasons why a business would or wouldn't kind of proceed. um and 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 so that's happening all the time but online like I said before you don't typically get a no and you certainly don't get a no with a reason for very very rarely so it's hard sometimes to step up yeah. and I would definitely caution against Falling back, and that's the reason. You know, going, well, they're not investing in us because we're women. Honestly, if we, myself and Alex had decided that after eight, nine months of trying to get investment, we would have been wrong. They weren't investing in us because we hadn't focused down on doing one thing well. We were too broadly focused across lots of things. Yeah, um, yeah. we are not focused at all across lots of things. And we would have been kind of giving ourselves a contest. That's not to say that, you know, discrimination and things just not exist. Of course they do. And there's people that have very outdated ideas that have no place in, in modern society. But we would have been giving ourselves to get out of jail free cars and not asking ourselves the hard questions as to what places this, this could be better. And um, at the later rounds at, at venture capital and, and again, we may have had a different experience if we it hadn't been a competitive process. And the scenario with these American companies racing big running hadn't happened and we were you know trying a lot harder to kind of race. But really our experience was we went out and multiple people said yes. So it's very hard to say that we were being discriminated against. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people people saw you know, there was you know we we had fundamentally had a good company, you know, and and that we hadn't got there by chance. Um, and so I think they were willing to kind of put us a break and, and do it. But we also were lucky in that myself and Alex, despite having androgynous names and turning up to meetings and people probably expecting to find two blokes doing the table <laughs> instead of me and Alex. Um, you know, we always had each other in the room, um, so we never felt kind of you know intimidated or you know the only woman in the room. Um, and we're also just. A bit stubborn and kind of uh, bloody minded on these things, but maybe we wouldn't have noticed anyway if somebody was trying to push us out of the way. Um, yeah. But I think, it, you know, we do live in a reality where it, it is a phenomenon and it does happen, I don't want to say it doesn't, um, but, you know, we also kind of just push past them. So there's, there's loads of reasons why we are not the people to run this business. Like, I, before I started this, I've never written a line of code. We didn't, we never run a cleaning company, we never run a business, we never run a tech startup, we never raised any money, and you know, the fact that we were women, that's like, that is like, reason, you know, (laughs) (laughs) 962 of us, (laughs) to why we shouldn't, like, be successful. Um, And with that kind of mindset, I think it just, yeah, we just didn't let it be like a a factor at the forefront of what was happening. Yeah. Um, And you know, I think, but for people that do experience it in a a situations, like you know, call people out on it, you know, we, we just wouldn't put up with it, <laughs> I guess, it was, you know, for, where we were at. So um, um, I think it, it, and hopefully, I think it's, you know, going away and, and there's, so, there's very little tolerance for it in this day and age, which is a very, very good thing.
0: Absolutely I, I completely agree. but I think you, you've made a couple of loads of really good points there, but two takeaways for me. I mean one is you had a business that at small scale had really good numbers and was growing month on month. so it wasn't it, it wasn't a huge business yet, but the numbers the, the fundamentals were really strong and you were able to talk to those um so you know so you had proven something right you you, you needed <laughs> yes. to you needed money to go much further obviously but you had proven something when you walked into the room and you knew that and you had the numbers to prove that and i think your other point about alex being there with you and the two of you having each other's backs and being you know the 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 founders of the company going into the room together i think it's hard to overstate how much Support. Uh, how much importance that kind of support can give to female founders psychologically.
1: Absolutely, yeah, no, one hundred percent. We were so lucky to have each other, and um, you know, and, and that, you know, we we always had each other's back, and you know, it's it, There was never that dynamic of kind of yeah, feeling isolated. I mean, there was always to some home and run to if you just happen to be on your own. Um, kind of kind of meeting not gone so well. Um, so I mean, I think that's it. Any business is, there's many, many different factors, like luck factors. You need to have a good idea, you need to work hard, but those two things alone, unfortunately, don't guarantee success. You need a lot of luck along the way, and and we have that in many, many forms. But, you know, there's one of those forms, the fact that me and my best friend happened to be very good at running the company together. (laughs) It might have gone horribly wrong. We were like great friends, maybe we would be terrible co-founders, but we we were lucky in the fact that we are skills that complement each other really well. And after half of of going through that journey, like, neither of us could think of anyone else that we'd rather do the next business with. And, you know, here we are, you know, these you say you're all our, our second one that I've seen it together. Um, sure. But mean, you, you have to have those bits of look, you know, whether it's the people that you end up working with or the investors you end up meeting or just timing in the marketplace in general, you know, that some other company, you know, validates your idea or some trend happens to come along that you're happy to be riding the crystal wave on. And, um, you know, and, and those things are beyond your control. And that's what can be so frustrating about starting a startup. You do everything right. And those factors don't run your way, and or, or vice versa. You see somebody that you think is like had it easy because just everything went the right way for them, <laughs> and and it's uh, yeah. It, that's that's a bit you can't control. All you can control is you know you know the the effort and the kind of execution kind of from your part.
0: Yeah, completely,
1: completely. So so you you
0: in terms of the deals then done with the VCs and did you get multiple rounds of VC or? tell
1: us t- tell us about we, that yeah so, so we raised the series a we raised the six million dollar series a so they, they invested a in our company um uh and that was with two different bcs so there was a lead VC and a secondary VC. so one for five million one for one million um, and and generally speaking the way central capital funding works for most companies not all is that you typically you're typically still loss making which so is why you take it in investment um you don't typically take an into putting your bank account and earn interest on um and usually then companies are targeting their next round of venture capital funding you know you've got three real options once you've taken VC, you you die which definitely happens to some companies you continue down the VC track to your next round so a series B and a series c and they typically get higher values of money or you get acquired like us so maybe you acquire um, very few companies would float on the stock market just after having their Series A. So it really it's kind of yeah, acquisition journey out. Um, and you typically look at whatever amount of money you raise, you kind of divide it by eighty. No VC will say this as cruelly to you as it is, but you divide the money that you get by you know, 12 to eighty and try and lose that amount of money each month while growing as quickly as possible. With the idea that you'll raise that next round of funding about 18 months from now. And that's, it's, it's kind of the unwritten kind of way VC works. Of course, there's companies that bust the trend on that. There's companies that spend their money fast they on and need to raise sooner. And there are companies that end up being more profitable than they thought or more, generating more revenue, and they don't need to raise quickly as that. But the kind of typical VC sort of treadmill is, is that kind of 18-month kind of horizon kind of moving on to the next thing. And that can be really scary because obviously you're putting more and more costs to your business, and it's getting harder and harder for you just to kind of get into profitability if you have to in a pinch because you're running out of money. Um, and we were sort of playing that thing. Um, so 18 months later, we were out raising for our QBP. We were going to raise $20 million. Um, kind of next step up on the ladder um, and we had term sheets, we were we bagged on a term sheet with um, a VC um, and that was the point at which we ended up getting acquired instead. We had these two votes actually raised really side by side so we kind of went through the motions of raising that second round and kind of seeing what that next thing looks like but ultimately for us we decided, out of those three outcomes, we decided to go for the acquisition um, outcome rather than raising the, the subsequent round. Um, and, and that's something that you know again once you've raised venture capital funding you've sort of put off the table the avenue where you've just built a profitable business that generates dividends and maybe hand it down to your grandkids right. that's not really the outcome once you've raised venture capital it's not it's really not the outcome that the vcs want. they're yeah. not looking to hold shares in a dividend generating company they want a company that is growing large and you know um you know will you know hopefully get acquired or acquire other companies and become like a very large, you know, global, global company. Um, and so, yes, yeah, that was, you know, where, where we found ourselves 18 months
0: later. Was that something that was important to you on the journey, you know, people talk a lot about patient capital now and VCs talk a lot about, you know, how important it is in their philosophies not to, you know, n- not to expect or force or encourage their portfolio companies to exit earlier than they want to. Was that kind of philosophical uh, uh, standing, something that you guys explored when you were doing your deals or was it not that important to you?
1: I think the philosophical tends to go out the window when you have competitors breathing down your neck kind of from afar with many multiples of your funding. Um, We didn't, in we we didn't raise from a venture capital firm that is, you know, don't be patient capital. Um, they're not in patient capital, but they're they they were not you know, the someone that we're kinda of putting that in front of uh, uh, forefront. Yeah. Um, and uh you know, really it was this is going to be a battle. There's these companies over here deploying capital very quickly, growing very quickly, you know, gaining kind of traction across the globe. And um, we need to kind of do the same. Um, and we were starting from a much lower kind of base, you know, you know, we'd raised 6 million, which for London at the time was very good for Israel day, but it wasn't 40 million. Um, and pretty soon afterwards, actually the company that ended up acquiring us um, got started in, in Germany and they raised like 70 million. And so it was these quantums of cash kind of going around the place. And so us decided to deploy 6 million very slowly over the course of the next 10 years, it didn't really seem like the right kind of strategy. Um, but that was also driven just by our industry and the scenario that we were in. If we were somewhere else, you know, doing something else, it may well have been a different strategy that was, you know, kind of being
0: been explored. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it sounds like you are exploring a different strategy with Resi. So, I mean, VC was good to you, you were good to it. But this time round, what are your thoughts in terms of investment and, 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 and the way to go?
1: Yeah, so so after we got acquired, we spent six months um, with the company, and, and then myself and Alex left. Uh, we spent six months off, kind of recovering and looking back at how crazy the previous <laughs> kind of, four or five years had been. And um, and then actually we kind of switched wheels at the table for for a brief stint, where we became entrepreneurs and residents. at a VC firm here uh, in London, uh, Index Ventures. So a VC firm we know, kind of through the journey. They haven't invested in us, but we kind of kept in very close contact, and that was interesting for us because we kind of got to on the other side of the table and kind of consider things from a VC point of view and, and see what they're seeing and how they're assessing companies coming in. Um, and my allies are, you know, a similar mindset in that venture capital is not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a, it's a form of financing, you know. It's a form of financing just like a bank loan or crowdfunding or, or anything else. It's not inherently good or bad, but it's, you know, a, 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 the right or wrong approach kind of, you know, for, for companies depending on the scenario. Um, and, and we believe that actually it's, it's quite a small subset of companies that should take on venture capital funding. Many do, but only a certain subset really should. And only a small subset can really take that level of money and invest it at the pace that's needed to re- return the you know, rate of um, investment that they that requires. And there's many other companies that are good companies that could be very profitable or lucrative for their founders or entrepreneurs. That should never take VC capital because they can't deploy it at that kind of speed. And um, and our new business, the Resi, so ready, so we are we we're not central practice. Actually, we operate online, so we're you know we we serve from London, we serve nationwide, um, and we're using technology to bring you know a much more cost-effective approach to the world of residential architecture. Um, but we don't really feel, that, at least not currently, you know, eighteen months in, that we can take in six million or ten million and deploy it quickly enough to kind of get those returns that, that we need. It it needs to be a little bit more patient, a little a little slower. We need to focus on quality. Nobody wants, you know, orchestral plans for a house that won't stand up. <laughs> you know, there's a quality level that would <laughs> be like upheld. Um and, and and we don't want to put that pressure on ourselves either. You know, given our track record of having, you know, bills and sold a company, you know, without without being arrogant, we probably could raise the of funding right now. But we don't think it'll be the right thing for the business. And we don't think that it's a mark of validation that somebody's willing to give us, let's say, you know, a few million pounds. It, it, it's just a form of financing and with it comes obligations. And, and that doesn't feel like the right approach for us. Um, and I think we definitely, we kind of stumbled a little bit into taking DC financing the last time around. And I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a sense of ...validation and, and cachet with, some of, you know, they're like, oh, yes, we've raised 6 million from a, you know, a highly thought-of capital firm. We have this article in FactBunch. We've right. an element of that. It was kind of our thinking. And and this time around, I think we just, we, we see it for what it is. You know, it's not like, like I said, it's not a good or a bad thing. It, it, it's just something. Um, and it doesn't feel like the right approach for us, at least not now. Not saying ever, um, but it's um, not what we want to do. We don't, you know, need that to kind of, it's not a, a, a check... Um, Mark, that we need to make on our kind of like list of what a good startup does in here too. Um, you know, a good business is just one that's growing and building a product you know that customers really love, and a company where employees like to work. Um, and that's that's what we're focused on. Um, and the financing that we take in will you know depend kind on of what we want to do, but um, we're you know we're kind of don't want to just jump on the treadmill just because that's what kind of expected.
0: Yeah, and, and you've used the word treadmill a couple of times. And and you're so right that companies kind of, they get confused in the hype and excitement of the early days of startup. And they think that to be a good company or to be considered in Inverticom as a good company, they need to have raised VC. They need to have that kind of notch on their belts. And, you know, like you say, it was fantastic to see your names up in lights and tech crunch. And that's exciting for young entrepreneurs. But... It doesn't mean that your business is any better or any worse than a company that has chosen another route.
1: No, absolutely not. You know, I think, I and mean, again, you know, it's not, it was, it, it, you could have a very good business in taking a VC funding. It's just, it's just not the VC funding that determines whether you're good or bad, I think. Yep. Of course, people have gone through an element of their filtering, right? Like, they don't try to put their money into bad companies, right? Like there's an element of filtering there, but it's, um, you know, it, 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 it's not the, the guarantee of success it is guaranteed guarantee that you're going to add a lot of cost and, you know, kind of, um, uh, like, weight uh, kind of on your shoulders of, like, you know, expe- expectations. Um, you know, where whereas here, you know, in this company, we've, we've grown quickly. We've actually, you know, for the first 18 months, we've grown a lot quicker than half ever did. We're, you know, now 30 employees, um, and we've raised money from some angel investors. So it's not like we've taken in no external um, investments, but we've chosen very deliberately angels that have, connections or um, you know expertise in, in the industry that we're in um, you know they own very small percent of the business um, overall um, and it was just it was startup capital truly startup in the kind of the capital we need to kind of get going but we're fundamentally trying to run a profitable business um, and that's kind of for us the the, the first um, step to get to.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So I'm interested in, 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 I think it would be helpful for our listeners too, to just, since we're kind of defining, where we're not defining, but I'd like to define, you know, what you see as a business that would be, you know, the perfect fit for venture capital versus businesses that aren't. I mean, you've talked about the speed of putting that money to work and being able to take in that money and put it to work uh, over a very, uh, fast period of time so a, a company that's very hungry and very capable of scaling fast how do you recognize that it, it, so that's is that one definition and, and what are the other kind of elements that you would say put yourself back in your index venture uh, entrepreneur in residence days what are the other things where you'd say these companies are 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 good for vc or you know would be the right fit or are not and i think that's interesting
1: to just think, spend a little bit more time yeah on. so i, I think you know, One one aspect is if your business, just by virtue of how it operates, can be somewhat global from day one, um, and therefore you have a sort of, well, unlimited, <laughs> global is unlimited, you know, uh, field to play with in terms of marketing and, you know, market that you can offer your services to or your product to. Um, if your product is digital in nature, so it doesn't need to be produced by a human, right, you know, if, if it's that, I don't know, you've made the latest and greatest AI or something you know where actually the work went in to create it in the first instance and now it's how many people and hands can you get it into and maybe it's building up a sales team or marketing team and kind of getting out there but you don't need to hire more employees for all the products that you sell you know maybe you need to hire more employees to sell more but then that's just kind of revenue and you know you get a lot with kind of fast products or something like that you know where it's a digital product you know building you know that a product needs to be done, whether you have one customer or a million customers. Um, and really, what the, the venture capital funding these you to do is the scale up the marketing efforts. And um, whereas for us, you know, in, in both businesses, actually, um, you know, with hassle obviously, the more customers we had, the more hopefully bookings they were making for cleaners, the more cleaners we needed, and to onboard and do that. And, and there's a real world of there, and you know, quality checks and you know, performance management and customer service and all of those things and and it's hard to go from having one customer service agent to having a thousand customer service agents. Obviously, you know, it feels you don't feel like you can do that from one day to the next. <laughs> it's gonna take time. Yeah. Just as it is, it's hard to go from having one hundred cleaners, you know, across one city to having, you know, one hundred thousand across the world, right? You know, that feels like a complex thing to do. Whereas if you build a product, I don't know, that's you know Something you know, Instagram let's say or something like that, right? Where you built it, you could share photos. Yeah. And now you just need as many people in the world to use it, um, you know, as you can. That's a relatively good sort of, you know, you know, fit for for CC. Well, equally, things that require you know a lot of startup capital. You know, if you're building something physical, you know, like you, you look at you know. I don't know, self-driving cars or something, you know, coming from, you know, um, universities, maybe it's a slightly deeper tech, where there's actually not true, in the kind of treatment of to start a capital, that funds you need before you'll get revenue generated because an investment needs to be made to kind of get there. Yes. And um, that's very hard to bootstrap, you know. Um, there's just, there's definitely things, you know, you can't, you, you can't run space out, you know, without any, you know, capital being put into you. It's very hard to build rockets, you know, just on, you know. Yeah, goodwill. Hard work alone. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and so there's, there's those, you know those elements kind of you know are, are there and that's not to say that VC's won't back companies that don't give those attributes. in fact like that's kind of what i'm saying they will <laughs> but for companies where you do have that kind of scale of challenge you just need to be really kind of mindful of like like really just imagine if your bank account currently said you're 20 million thousand would you know what to do like next is that like, is that is truly your only blocker, the yes. money in your bank account? Or would it be really hard to actually kind of, you know, get all of those bits in, in motion and kind of make them kind of grow um, at the same time? I'm not saying it's easy for any company to deploy significant amounts of capital, but it's definitely harder for, for some types. And I'd, I'd put myself into that category. Doesn't mean it's not as a good business, doesn't mean it can't have good growth margins or net margins or, you know, kind of growth rate, um, but I couldn't go from, you know, 10 architect's currently to 1,000 architects tomorrow. It's just not possible. And so therefore, how would I spend £20 million really
0: quickly? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like what you were saying about, you know, being a female founder. You know, there's many reasons before that that you could, that, that would be reasons why you might fail than being a female founder. And it's the same if if you wouldn't know what to do immediately with 20 million in your bank account, well, then maybe that's not also, uh, you know, the reason why you can't. That's not the blocker, as you say, for moving forward. Yes, absolutely. That's great. Jules, this has been a fantastic uh, discussion, as usual. Um, and uh, we've gone long, but I think it was really, really worth it. Uh, is there anything else in terms of investing? I mean, think of the, the kind of the startups here back in Ireland that are are listening to this. Uh, anything else, any final words, something I haven't asked you that you think is a really important thing for people to keep in mind when they're considering raising? I
1: think if, if you ask any founders, um, they will say that. You know, when you're raising investments in those periods of time, and hopefully and are just periods of time, not a constant kind of thing, um, that you um, it's very hard to uh, keep your focus on the business itself, and that it, it, it's kind of contradictory, or you know, uh, it, it feels like it, it, it's unfair in that, at the very moment that you want your traction and your revenue and your kind of you know whatever growth metrics you're using to be at their best, you're distracted by doing something else, um, and and much as you can time box that and limit it and if you have co-founders you know try and limit how many people are kind of you know focused on invest and, and the, the investment rating and because otherwise the business will suffer making your task even harder to raise that funds. Um, and so you know for for us you know certainly at the angel round, alex would take the vast majority of first meetings, and if they were starting to look promising, then I'd be brought in to kind of also do it. But when, you know, if if they weren't, then I was back in the office, writing lines of code and making the core product better and trying to grow the business. And for single founders, of course, that's a really hard juggling act, you know, as to how you split your time and energy. But, you know, first and foremost, it's easier to raise money for a business that's doing well. So that has to come first. Um, And it's something has to go on the back burner, make it the investment shop, I guess, because you need to have a business that you're confident to go out there and sell, not one that you're making excuses for and going, oh, well, if I wasn't doing this, it'd be doing much better, because then you're asking for a big leap of faith from the investors.
0: Yeah. Fabulous. I love that advice. Really super talking to you, Jules. Thank you so much for the time and the insights and the fun conversation. And uh, I love Resi resi.co.uk if people haven't checked it out yet it's a super super um offering and, and and needed with all the construction that's going on all over the world at the moment certainly around here um, it's a, a service that people can use uh very easily so jules we will see each other soon i hope and uh and we'll talk soon and this will go out shortly on the tech ireland podcast thank you so much absolutely
1: thanks so much
0: me